Today on Against the Grain, COVID has exposed the precarious health of working class people and people of color in this country. And the climate disaster is laying bare the vulnerability of so many around the world on a changing planet. What's the connection? Political economist Raj Patel and physician Rupa Marya argue that capitalism, with its roots in colonialism, has derailed our ecosystems, both the ones outside us and the ones inside our bodies. From the studios of KPFA in Berkeley, California, this is Against the Grain on Pacifica Radio. I'm Sasha Lilly. Inflammatory diseases are on the rise, making millions more vulnerable to the effects of viruses like COVID. Diseases that leap from species to species have increased from deforestation, forcing animals into closer proximity with each other. And we live in a world now afflicted by fires, floods, and other disasters. According to Rupa Marya and Raj Patel, the inflammation of our bodies and the inflammation of our planet are utterly entwined, the effects of a globe-spanning capitalism that has ruptured our relationship with non-human nature and ourselves. That's the argument they make in Inflamed, Deep Medicine and the Anatomy of Injustice. Rupa Marya is a doctor and co-founder of the Do No Harm Coalition. Raj Patel is a professor of nutrition at the University of Texas and the author of The Value of Nothing. Rupa, I'd like to start with a very basic question, but one that's at the heart of your book. What is inflammation? Well, biologically speaking, in our bodies, um, inflammation is the body's way of responding to damage or the threat of damage in order to restore the optimum working conditions, um, which is a state we call homeostasis. Um, And that is the state in which our biological processes happen um, in the best, in the most efficient and um, beneficial way. And so when there is damage or the threat of damage, um, cells in our bodies release certain chemical signals that um, indicate that that damage is happening or about to um, happen. And those chemical signals set off a whole cascade, a whole intricately choreographed um, reaction throughout the body um, that that results in inflammation. So people know inflammation through a cut in their finger. Um, That's something that's usually self-limited and acute. Um, But the inflammation that we're describing in the book is chronic systemic inflammation. Um, And what we're learning about um, the diseases that we work with and encounter as healthcare workers in modern industrialized societies is all of them, almost all of them, have chronic systemic inflammation as a part of their disease process, from cardiovascular disease to Alzheimer's to depression, um, to diabetes, inflammatory bowel disease, asthma, COPD. Um, So most of the things I treat in the hospital um, are diseases where um, chronic systemic inflammation is playing a major role. And what we um, looked at in this book is, um, you know, when I guess what they, when they did studies looking at, you know, what causes chronic systemic inflammation? Is it just genetics, which has been our preoccupation in medicine is very mm-hmm. um, individualized um, look at disease and, well, this person just has poor genes and therefore they're more predisposed to these things. If you look at the difference between nature versus nurture or genetics and environment, when it comes to chronic systemic inflammation, um, the overwhelming um, burden is on the environment. Um, So our environment is predisposing us to chronic systemic inflammation in our bodies. And what we have learned um, is that our environment includes the sum of all of our exposures, um, what's a term we call, um, that is called the exposome that we go into a lot of detail in the book. So the sum of all of our exposures in our lives and even our ancestors' lives um, come to bear on how the body is responding. So inflammation is the normal response of a healthy body um, to danger or the threat of danger around it. And so in other words, that for medicine, looking at inflammation from what you've just said, that trying to see the individual in isolation from their environment is going to really get you nowhere in terms of understanding these increased rates of inflammation, how chronic and widespread it has become, that unless we see it 
in the context of the society someone lives in, is it really possible to get at the root of the inflammation? Absolutely. Um, and I think that um, what we've done is compile as, as much information as we could in terms of what's driving that systemic inflammation. And as we were diving deeper into it, um, we really came to understand that it is the architecture of societies based on systems of domination. And we look mm -hmm. specifically at colonial capitalism and how um, the architecture that was put in place through colonialism and capitalism over the last 600 years has literally changed our bodies. Um, and when we, um, when I would speak with indigenous folks at Standing Rock, some of the Lakota elders out there, they would say to me, you know, we never had cancer. We never had diabetes until the uh, Washichu, um, which is their word for the white people, um, until the colonizers came. And um, that's something that, you know, your Western mind, um, your Western scientific mind could say, oh, they just didn't know how to diagnose diabetes. Of course they had it, or of course they had cancer. But when you look at the, the historical record, as well as the, um, the bones of people um, who, um, when, you, when, you, when you look at analyses of bones of folks who live in, in the Dakotas in that area, um, there was no evidence of diabetes in those bones. Um, and it is literally the um, changing of the flows of the river, the changing of the food systems, the um, impact of genocide, the genocide of the buffalo, the you know complete altering the boarding schools and the violence of you know ripping apart um, youth from their families and their cultures. Um, that is driving this kind of systemic inflammation and. And that's why you'll see um, groups that have been colonized with, um, um, you know, such violence um, where that, the, you know, they're crushed under the heel of colonial capitalism are experiencing systemic um, inflammation in, in much more profound rates. And COVID has just, you know, shown that again. So Raj Patel, COVID has shined a light on all the inequalities and fissures and vulnerabilities that were existing in our society but have become so highly visible during the pandemic. How does the kind of inflammation, pre-existing inflammation that Rupa was describing that we carry in our bodies affect our susceptibility, depending who we are, to the most damaging effects of COVID? Capitalism primes the bodies of people who we have come to understand in uh, under COVID are frontline workers to uh, respond more dramatically to uh, the insults of COVID. So if, I mean, uh, to, to embrace your question fully, Sasha, I mean, uh, it, you know, it, it's been very interesting to look at who was considered essential and frontline in uh, the, 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 the pandemic. Uh, and looking specifically, uh, I, I think, at, you know, I, I'm here in Texas, and where were the hotspots for COVID, but in prisons and in slaughterhouses, uh, at least in the first instance. Uh, now, those, uh, you know, the, it, within prisons, within slaughterhouses, there is, of course, an overrepresentation of people of color uh, and the working class. And, uh, and certainly in slaughterhouses, also disproportionately, um, th there are more women working uh, in the front line than uh, other parts of uh, the, the comparable parts of the food system. So uh, the way that capitalism has layered, uh, as Rupert was saying, uh, th these these chronic insults uh, into our bodies, uh, and particularly into the bodies of pe communities of people of color uh, and the working class, sets up uh, a, 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 a primes uh, a folk to respond uh, yet worse to, to COVID uh, because, again, a term that we've become familiar with, underlying conditions or comorbidities or, uh, are already prevalent in in those communities uh, and. It's not surprising that when capitalism, for example, uh, is 
peddling the kinds of food that are uh, likely to render populations uh, vulnerable to type 2 diabetes. Uh, when you have uh, you know, communities of people of color uh, already uh, living in hotter neighborhoods than in communities of white people. When you uh, look at the sort of differential impacts of uh, just the structure of capitalist society on bodies, and then you, uh, you know, roll in this virus, which uh, uh, you know, uh, exacerbates and uh, layers into uh, the, the long exposome uh, the, the, the sum total of exposures you know, since conception to, to today, then you've got a, 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 you know, a, a recipe for disaster, uh, which is still ongoing. I mean, it, it, it's uh, possible to think in certain parts of the United States that uh, while the, the Delta wave is uh, breaking, uh, it, it's, you know, the, the pandemic is largely on the way out. Uh, and of course, you know, large parts of the planet have yet to receive their first dose of vaccine. Large parts of the planet have seen uh, catastrophic rises in level of, levels of hunger that were already pretty bad. I mean, you know, we, we had 2 billion people who were food insecure before the pandemic, and now it's 2.1, 2.2 billion people uh, who are food insecure. Uh, so COVID has certainly exacerbated things, not just just through the virus itself, uh, but through its uh, propagation through uh, an already unjust economic system and its effects are not just uh, material in the body in terms of uh, the virus and the, uh, the the inflammatory responses that the body is mounting to, to fight it off, but also uh, the virus and the cascading economic e effects which both put certain bodies, uh, again, working class and communities of people of color in the front lines uh, to be able to insulate the, the rich from the effects of COVID, but also uh, expose those communities also to further deprivation because of the economic slowdown related to COVID. Well, and you argue in the book that it's not just our bodies that are inflamed, but in fact, it's our planet that's inflamed. And I wanted to ask you, Raj, about how the kind of vulnerabilities that the inequalities and oppression of capitalist society and colonialism have set up that you argue has made some people especially vulnerable, how you see that vulnerability playing out with the unfolding and accelerating climate emergency? Well, in Inflamed, we mount uh, a history of, uh, of of medicine and of food systems and of capitalism itself and show how they're uh, interwoven. Uh, in particular, uh, we point to uh, the sort of Cartesian logic of separation of, uh, of you know, mind and body. We talk about uh, the kinds of work that um, uh, you know, Jason Moore, who's been on your show before, has uh, talked about in terms of world ecology, about the, the, uh, the, the, the sort of separation between uh, society and nature. Uh, mm -hmm. And in that boundary between society and nature, uh, one, can, one can read, in essence, the history of the world, right? You know, who is it that initially is a member of society? Well, it's uh, Catholic, propertied, white men. Uh, and the, 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 through histories of, of struggle, more and more people are admitted to society. But always society's license is to set fire to nature. To, to turn nature into a commodity to inflame uh, and to use and abuse as as one sees fit uh, if one is a member of society. That, that is the license that being a member of society provides you in terms of its dominion over the rest of the planet. Uh, but that that separation, the the exploitation that, that allows certain humans to sit outside society under a, a colonial capitalist mentality, but also allows dominion over uh, the combustible resources of the, the world, is precisely this relationship of domination uh, that both leads us to the kinds of um, you know, rise in, in you know, the, the spread of zoonotic diseases. Uh, and while the jury's still out about the origins of COVID, it's certainly the case that whether lab leak or uh, you know, uh, uh, animal transmission, uh, it is the result of humans feeling that uh, the consequences of their actions when they tinker with nature uh, are minimal at best because it is humans' right to be able to do that. Um, and similarly, when it comes to thinking about the, the climate emergency uh, through which we are living and which is guaranteed to, to get worse, uh, uh, again, that's the consequence of a certain uh, idea, a privilege, a power that's arrogated through the separation of uh, society and nature and dominion over uh, 
again, the working class and uh, communities of, of people of color, uh, that licenses um, the, the burning of, you know, of, of fossil fuels, uh, the, the, the disposing of uh, you know, uh, uh, carbon byproducts into the atmosphere as if there, there, were, there could be no consequence. So the, the, the two are absolutely related. The, the inflammation in our bodies and the inflammation uh, of the planet are not merely metaphorically joined. Uh, they are joined uh, quite, you know, quite factually. I mean, you know, in, in the Bay Area, for example, uh, after the COVID treatment uh, that, that Rupert engaged in and, and uh, in the UCSF hospital, uh, unhoused people were discharged to the streets to be exposed to air quality indices that were far beyond what was safe for humans. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the, the smoke from the fires that is currently uh, in the Bay Area uh, is, again, disproportionately affecting uh, frontline workers. And again, those are the workers who were always historically outside society through the, the operations of colonial capitalism. So th th there's no accident to the inflaming of the planet and the inflaming of our bodies. They're not sort of just coincidentally happening at the same time. They are intentionally uh, and predictably happening at the same time. Raj Patel is my guest. He is co-author with my other guest, Rupa Maria of Inflamed, Deep Medicine and the Anatomy of Injustice, which was published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. Raj Patel is professor of nutrition at the University of Texas. Rupa Maria, you are a physician and an activist. And in the book, Inflamed, you, you and Raj delve into the human body. You go through various systems within the human body. And I wanted to ask you about the immune system, which a lot of people have been thinking a lot about with COVID. And I wanted to ask you, how does the immune system work and what might send it off the rails? So that um, is a great question. And um, what we did in our book is to, you know, break up these systems in a traditional anatomical fashion, the way we were taught in medical school that was based in enlightenment era misunderstandings of the body. Um, so in fact, you know, if stories about um, your ancestors or how safe you are in the streets if you are a young black male in the United States actually shape the length of your telomeres and how likely your immune system will respond with inflammation then is the brain or the ear that's listening to that story and that brain that's processing that story then part of the immune system. So what we show in our book is that these systems that have been dissected in the body and made anatomically separate are actually more porous and um, way more interconnected that we in fact are systems within systems, not separated distinct systems. Mm -hmm. And that those systems are then in turn connected to our ecologies around us, connected to what's in the soil or what's missing in the soil from years of deforestation and chemical assault um, through our food system, um, through the industrial food system. So, um, you know, when we say immune system and we start the book with a, a dive into the immune system, by the end of the book, we're in the neurologic, um, the nervous system and showing how they're all connected through, you know, the gut brain axis and how, um, the microbes in our intestines are actually critical for shaping the development of the immune system and the development of the brain. Um, and so this is, you know, to get at what Rajesh uh, was just talking about, the um, assumptions and assertions that came at a time of conquering the world and extracting the labor and stealing the land of black and brown people around the world, that, that European project of colonialism brought with it these ideas that have remained fixed even in modern medicine to the point where scientists, um, I had a young medical student who is a neuroscientist, got her PhD in neuroscience, specifically on the gut-brain axis, and she was in her first year of medical school and feels like she needs to quit because she's like, the science that they're teaching in medical school has nothing to do with where the science actually is. Um, so the science of um, the microbiome and um, of uh, neural networks and what we're learning is much more a science of ecology and interrelationship and how our bodies inside and outside are hopelessly connected to the world around us and to one another. And so um, it really is urgent for medicine to be able to address the problems that we're facing today with climate health catastrophes and 
the pandemic, which are interrelated, that these are systems level problems and the tools that we have been educated with are dysfunctional for addressing them because they won't. They, you can't actually, you know, we see this simply with this um, thought that vaccinating everyone was, you know, everyone, we're 50% vaccinated and the CDC said, oh, well, take off your masks inside. Um, and now we see this massive Delta surge and Lambda is coming and it just doesn't show a sophistication or understanding of how these systems are interrelated. Yes, so you are arguing that there's something fundamentally wrong at the heart of modern medicine. And we'll go through that as we talk during this hour. And part of that is, as you've just alluded to, seeing things in isolation, seeing humans in isolation, seeing the different dimensions, the systems within the body in isolation. And one of the things that you argue in the book, Inflamed, is that our bodies need to be seen as an ecosystem themselves, which takes a bit of a shift of thinking of yourself as just you alone when in fact you are multiple. Can you talk about our digestive system and um, how that should be properly understood and our bodies as a whole as an ecosystem? Oh yes, so you know in, in the book we, we talk about the digestive system as the liminal zone, the transition zones, ecologically speaking, the ecotone between the world around us and our bodies. It's the place where those things intersect. And um, what we now know is that the millions of microbes that inhabit our bodies um, inhabit these crevices in our intestines that are present in utero, present as we're growing in, 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 in our um, in embryonic state and fetal state. Um, that these microbes are critical for our health, that we cannot be, we cannot have a healthy immune response. Our white blood cells cannot respond properly to infection or to allergens to the world around us without um, a, a robust and diverse microbiota in our, in our guts. And what we've seen um, studies recently have shown us that the modern industrial um, microbiome in the gut um, so especially people who live in the U.S. in urban centers, is the least biodiverse gut on planet Earth. And the most biodiverse gut on planet Earth belongs to indigenous communities who are living um, in the ways that they have been living for, for millennia. And, um, you know, and so one might think, you know, what we've also found, I should say, is that the more biodiverse, and this isn't just a hard correlation where there's a lot of sophistication to the science and it's not, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but we have seen that biodiversity of the gut is related to, is correlated with a decrease of inflammatory disease. Um, and so now everyone's wondering, okay, what probiotic do I take to get, you know, that, that, you know, decrease in my systemic inflammation and, you know, some scientists of low ethical standards are now trying to, you know, crawl up the, the, colons of indigenous people and gather their feces to um, create, you know, capsules of rewilding the gut, um, which is mm -hmm. totally not the way to go, because the gut microbiome of the Hadza um, hunter-gatherers in Tanzania is a living reflection of all of their relationships around them. It is not something that can be simply lifted and transplanted into someone who lives in Oakland who's exposed to the chronic um, air poisoning from the ABNI foundry right next door, who's exposed to the police violence from the Oakland Police Department and the lack of housing support from Oakland City. Um, so these kinds of things create a toxic set of exposures that can denude the microbiome that actually leads to less biodiversity of the microbiome. And the microbiome, these millions of organisms are our first and best response to inflammatory disease. Um, and we lose those um, strains that are particularly good at fighting inflammation almost immediately. And we see this in a, an amazing um, uh, example of modern colonization with the Irish travelers. So the Irish travelers are genetically Irish people who are ethnically distinct, um, a marginalized and minoritized group who have been nomadic for centuries in Ireland people often like considered them with the derogatory term Irish gypsies, mm -hmm. um, but they are not at all Roma. They are Irish people. Um, and they had a lifestyle of, you know, traveling in their caravans with their large families and their horses. And um, 
they they were forcibly settled by the Irish government um, in the early 2000s. And what you see in that forced settlement is a loss of the biodiver of these ancestral strains and the biodiversity of their gut microbiome. So while the Irish travelers before 2000 um, were uh, poor in the uh, socioeconomic sense, they did not have the inflammatory illnesses of settled uh, their settled Irish counterparts. So they did not have inflammatory bowel disease. They did not have asthma um, and these things that plagued the rest of Irish society. Um, now that they've been settled, um, th what they found is that there's a loss of these ancestral strains of microbes and they can be lost in a few years. And once they're lost, we cannot get them back. Um, and what was fascinating about that study is that their diet didn't change. So people think, well, maybe mm. if I just eat differently, yeah. I'll be fine. But it is a it, it is really a living reflection of a way of living, a way of relating. Um, and so I think that, you know, microbiome science is showing us in medicine that we we have to evolve our understanding of who we are. Um, who am I if my sense of my body is more porous than I ever understood it to be? It includes all these invisible passengers that are critical for my health and well-being. Rupa, what about, you mentioned uh, not long ago, the changes that have been brought on all of us, including to our ancestors and how that affects us. Is that something that one can see with a microbiome? And can you talk more broadly about the effects that get passed down, which, you know, I think in one period seemed to be kind of Soviet pseudoscience, and now <laughs> people are starting to, to realize that actually these things can have effects on the next generation. Yeah, so we get our microbiota, our gut microbiota, we get most of our microbes from the biggest inoculation of our microbes from our mothers during childbirth. Um, so babies who are born through vaginal birth um, have a microbiome that reflects their mother's microbiome um, more um more than babies that are born through C-section, which tend to pick up the microbes that are in the hospital environment. Um, and so um, if our mothers are subject to stress, um, to trauma, um, to violence, that impacts the biodiversity of that mother's gut. So even just in the, you know, one generation, you'll see an alteration and the microbiota is a form of genetic transform uh, genetic transmission. So your microbes are useful to you because they contain a whole um, a whole vocabulary of genetic information that is put to service to unlock nutrients from foods to mobilizing um, um, energy sources differently in the body, um, and so. Um, the what we show in the book Inflamed is that the way in which colonialism fractured critical relationships around the world of traditional people to their ancestral foods, their ancestral medicines, and their environments, their ecologies, has led to a um, a rupture in those protective uh, relationships that kept us healthy. And that the diseases that we are suffering from now um, and that keep growing in, in terms of their prevalence are diseases that um, are, are, are being caused by these ruptured relationships. Um, and so I, you know, that's, we, we spend the whole book outlining how that, how that comes to pass. Rupa Maria is my guest. She is a doctor and co-author with Raj Patel of Inflamed. Deep Medicine and the Anatomy of Injustice, which was published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. You can find a link to it on our website, againstthegrain.org. And of course, you are listening to Against the Grain on Pacifica Radio. I'm Sasha Lilly. So Raj, I wonder if we can go back to the origin of when this sort of shift started with capitalism and colonialism. How do you understand the forces that started transforming the relationship of people with uh, nature, that is non-human nature, as well as human nature, and the way it also reshaped how people saw those sorts of relationships and including, of course, medicine. Um, so 
We, have, we sort of have a, a launching off point for the analysis really in 1492, where uh, you have both uh, the European invasion of the Western Hemisphere and the ethnic cleansing of Iberia. Um, and these simultaneous moments of, uh, of domination and of, uh, and of the expansion of property rights through the capitalist frontier are moments that we see as pivotal in the in the furthering of a certain kind of uh, process of, of colonial capitalism. Um, the the interesting question then is all right. Well, look, you, you've you've got the the rolling forward of capitalism through its frontier uh, in the Western Hemisphere and its deepening uh, through rearticulation in Europe. Uh, how how is that policed uh, and you know, in, in the book, when we talk about something like, for example, the immune system, it's very interesting to see how languages of police and policing uh, emerge and become really quite central to our ideas of how our bodies are and how they work. Um, you know, the, the body has its geography and medicine has its uh, geographies and narratives. What, what one of the, the authors we use uh, is uh, Michel Foucault and his work on the birth of the clinic. Um, he, he's very interesting in uh, observing that uh, through the history of medicine, uh, there is a, a, a sort of pivotal shift in, uh, in the 1800s, in the beginning of the 1800s, where uh, all of a sudden bodies uh, start to become actual locations of disease. Uh, uh, and so, you know, when you have an itis, you have something that is inflamed, an organ that is inflamed. So, you know, appendicitis or tonsillitis, these are appendices and, and uh, tonsils that are uh, inflamed. Uh, the, the Once you have that idea of here's a thing within you in a place and, uh, a, a, you know, a functioning bit of matter, um, it's not too far after that uh, that you see uh, ideas about self and other uh, manifesting in in ways that deploy ideas of uh you know this is me and this is not me this is the invader and this is the uh the the, the sort of pure self uh, and you can find that kind of language and that kind of thinking in the word immunity uh, itself um you know uh, drawing uh, on a, a, a lot of new work we uh, observe that uh, the idea of immunity is itself based on a roman idea of citizenship, of self, self and other. You know, when, when the Roman Empire was uh, busy colonizing other uh, other places, it needed a word for cities that were free, uh, but under the empire, but not quite Roman. And so it came up with the idea of uh, of cities that, that were uh, immunes. So they were uh, munera, and you know, we can find the word munera, which means duties uh, in modern terms like municipality. But uh, to be immune was to be uh, not required to do the same kinds of duties that proper Roman citizens were. Uh, and that idea of policing borders, of self and other, uh, you can find through not just uh, you know ideas of nationhood and of territory, but also uh, of the immune system and the ways that we tell stories about our bodies. So, for example, today we, we still use the term "one well, fighting something off," as if there is a sort of purity of self uh, and uh, uh, an invading invading horde of others who are the enemy. Um, that kind of language uh, is to be found uh, in, in, in the language of, uh, of medicine uh, because it evolves with uh, the language of capitalism itself, of policing borders and marshalling forces to be a kind of border patrol for the nation state. Uh, so, you know, medicine is both, a, you know, a, a symptom and a cause of our understandings of the way that uh, capitalism develops. And, you know, again, th there's nothing particularly new about that observation. I mean, you know, when Frederick Engels writes The Condition of the Working Class in England, um, you know, he's making the kinds of general observations about boundaries and divisions. Uh, so, you know, he, he finds that the rate of mortality is four times as high in some streets than in others, uh, twice as high in whole classes of streets than in other classes. Th that idea is something that we can see in modern epidemiology. Uh, and that's why, you know, we you know, when we draw on one of the, the, the sort of big uh, you know, thinkers when it comes to the immune system of uh, Rudolf von Virchow, um, you know, we're, we're quite happy to observe, as he did in 1848, uh, and he was on the, the, the front lines of revolutions in Berlin, for example, but he, he observed that medicine is a social science and politics nothing but medicine 
on a grand scale. So that idea of uh, you know of the the origins of capitalism lying in certain kinds of division and the militarized policing of that division appears both in medicine as symptom and cause of the expansion of colonial capitalism. Well, on the one hand, uh, as you're observing, I guess it shouldn't surprise us that that modern medicine is rooted in the the structural forces, the political economy that has shaped the modern period in terms of you know how we understand ourselves, how we understand the world, how we understand our bodies. But listeners might say, well, okay, maybe it has all that baggage and maybe some of that is wrong, but has not modern medicine, along with public health, extended people's lives to historic levels? Raj? Well, yes, but you know, it, it's also brought us to uh, you know the, the brink of catastrophe and that, that distribution of the, the, uh, the, the extension of lives uh, hasn't been an automatic process uh, for um, the, the expansion of modern medicine. Uh, it has been a corollary not of the benevol you know, benevolence of the medical industry, but uh, the expansion of workers' rights. Uh, so, you know, I mean, yes, you, you can hear people say, well, you know, what you want to do is roll back the clock to the medieval era and, you know, try getting dental care in England uh, in, in the 1200s and, you know, isn't, isn't capitalism brilliant because it's given us lidocaine. Um, and uh, the, the response is, yes, it's given us lidocaine and it's extinguished life on the planet and it threatens to, to, to end all life, uh, you know, end the possibilities of any sort of recognisable human life on Earth going forward. Uh, and that's not great either. Uh, and I, I would rather trade lidocaine for a, 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 you know, a, a future uh, that is bright for all life on Earth uh, as opposed to just the rich. Now, th there is, however, you know, I mean, th th there's a good point here, which is, look, isn't there something good about modern science. And that's also something that we're very keen on. I mean, it, it, when Rupa and I were writing Inflamed, we were, we were neck deep in uh, the best peer-reviewed literature, uh, pointing to uh, the kinds of data around uh, systemic inflammation, around ecological inflammation that we could find. We like science. We're, we're not its enemies. We come here not to, to slay science, but to slay capitalism. Uh, because part of the history of capitalism has been a, a strict policing about whose bodies count when it comes to thinking and feeling, right? That there are certain bodies that uh, whose uh, ideas are either discounted or appropriated or often both. You know, we're thinking here of indigenous people, of uh, the long history of women healers who are both condemned as witch, witches and then have their healing taken away from them and repurposed uh, in other forms in order to be profitable. So when we're thinking about the future of science, we don't want to abandon peer review. We want to expand the number of people who are considered peers. Uh, and we want to uh, expand the processes and circulations of knowledge and also uh, recognize that, that not all knowledge wants to be free. I, I don't care what folk in Silicon Valley says, uh, but, but you know, it, it has been the case that knowledge has been stolen so often from indigenous people that uh, it is quite within uh, communities' rights to hold on to that knowledge and uh, share it only on the basis of uh, of trust and of relationship and that of course is the point here you know we we, we heard we hear so much about rewilding uh, and rewilding as a, a sort of process or object that can be inserted into our bodies or that can be you know fenced off from human beings but what our book is about is about the reconnection of relationships and science is when it's done well precisely the process of uh, recognizing new peers uh, bringing, you know, and sort of decolonizing the table at which uh, peer review takes place in order that medicine can be better and available for everyone. But in order for that to be the case, we need a reckoning. We need uh, reparations for the harms that the, the you know, modern industrial med medical complex has caused. Uh, and we need, uh, you know, obviously reparations for the harm that capitalism has caused and a, a process in which knowledge can be held in ways that return us to the commons rather than uh, you know, propel us towards the extinction uh, to which you know, modern medicine uh, has been complicit. So again, uh, this is not to say modern medicine uh, is uh, is bad. Again, uh, you know, Rupa is a practicing physician and is brilliant at it, but she's brilliant at it not because she follows uh, the contours of what modern capitalist medicine demands of her, but because she doesn't. Raj Patel is my guest, co-author with Rupa Maria of Inflamed, Deep Medicine and the Anatomy of Justice. I'm Sasha Lilly, and this is Against the Grain on Pacifica Radio. So, uh, Rupa, you write that modern medicine is a prison, 
and that abolition is a cure. What do you mean by, especially given the caveats that Raj just mentioned, that you're not anti-science, what do you mean by abolishing medicine as we know it? Well, I think that um, when we look at science and when, when we were reading the studies um, that formed the foundation of our understanding of inflammation, the ways in which the knowledge was attained are following the structures of that um, colonial hierarchy of humans up here and dogs and rabbits over here so we can do you know whatever we need to in order to um, you know get at our our truth our, our understanding to so the violence of science um, and its fracturing of relationships of um, ourselves to the web of life is something that we do take issue with and that there are other ways of knowing there are other sciences that are also peer-reviewed and also um you know ways of um, amassing and integrating knowledge over time that is based in data collection you know that would never interrupt those ways of relating that are mutually beneficial and that is you know we find that example we talk about that example in the book with um traditions of science and knowing um, that are based in indigenous cultures. And so for me as a Western medicine practitioner and someone who's very interested in decolonizing medicine, I see in the hospital how the structures around me um, are uh, participating, are creating the ongoing violence for black and brown people within that structure. So when people come for help, um, the help that they get has been conditioned and shaped through colonial arrangements of power. And the outcomes we see are evident when we talk about healthcare disparities and medicine has become, you know, literate in the language of structural determinants of health. Oh, well, this is due to the structural determinants of health. Um, but we don't contend with how those structures are present in the hospital um, how they're recreated in the dynamics of power of um, capitalist medical industrial complex um, and how they can't actually be changed within those structures because they are a part of that architecture. They're the part of the foundations. And so if we want to see changes in the health outcomes of black, brown and indigenous folks, for example, of poor folks, of working class folks, of women or um, femme identified people, then we um, have to change those structures. And that is a process of abolition. It's recognizing that we can't simply add a DEI training or a health equity department um, to a violent structure and expect better outcomes. We have to start rebuilding it. And there are many ways to do that. And in terms of policy, one exciting way that we're looking at right now in California, as I sit on the Healthy California for All Commission, to develop a unified financing plan for healthcare in California um, in response to voters overwhelmingly voting for universal healthcare in California is to get rid of the private healthcare industry, um, health insurance industry in California and have a state run health program. Um, so that everyone here can come under its umbrella and have access to care. That doesn't change um, all the dynamics of power, but it would allow for different kinds of practitioners to enter the conversation, different places of practice, the development of decolonizing methodologies in medicine, and medicine that is specifically designed to advance the care of those who have been crushed more the most through our current social structures. Um, and so, you know, we have Cal it's CalCare, um, the California Nursing um, Nurses Association is really on the front of that that work, um, and so yeah, so that's one one area. But I but deeply and more um, philosophically, our whole understanding of medicine must be changed, and it's not something that can be tweaked. Um, it must be um, wholly transformed. Right, because it's tricky. In some ways, it's a bit like the climate emergency, which is it's hard to think of resolving it without getting beyond capitalism, but you have to actually address things in the short term because it's acute. And so obviously people still need care right now. But Raj, you know, you've talked a lot about 
decolonizing medicine. Is there any way to decolonize medicine without getting rid of capitalism? How do you see it? Well, I mean, I, I think that the, the work that uh, Rupa is doing, and I'm uh, honoured to, to be a part of, in a group called the Deep Medicine Circle in uh, in occupied Ohlone territory, points a way to thinking about uh, a direction to follow. So, uh, how do you know that you have been given medicine? Well, you you know because you've been uh, given a story about. Uh, the, the process in which your your body has uh, been assaulted by something and uh, here's a medication or a treatment of some kind uh, that will return you to homeostasis, it will get rid of your inflammation or whatever it is and bring you back to normal. That narrative of medicine uh, obviously excludes uh, other forms of treatment and care that are not licensed by our you know, medical industrial complex. Um, so. Yeah, and one of the reasons why we insist on colonial capitalism is as a constant reminder that we are settlers uh, here in uh, what is currently called the United States, but also to, to remind uh, our readers and ourselves that there is an outside uh, to the way that we think about medicine that is still very much alive and still being practiced. Uh, part of that outside is uh, recognizing, as most civilizations have and do, that there isn't really a difference between food and medicine. It's only uh, under modern capitalist medicine that there's, you know, the pharmaceutical industry has managed to persuade us that, you know, unless it comes in a screw top bottle that's very difficult to open, uh, it's it's not medicine. Uh, and that process of, of I mean, if, if we are to decolonize medicine, we could follow the example of one of the earliest decolonizers of medicine, um, uh, 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 Franz Fanon, uh, you know, the, the, the Algerian uh, uh, liberation uh, you know, legend, uh, who was also a practicing psychiatrist. And, you know, he, he did his best in uh, in the context of Algeria uh, to decolonize his clinic, uh, in, in part by, uh, you know, working when he was working with um, uh, French settler women uh, in Algeria. Algiers, uh, treating their psychiatric difficulties. He, he uh, reworked the ward so that there was a cinema club and a printing press so, so the women could uh, you know, you know, uh, take charge of the production and consumption of media in their spaces. Um, but for Algerian men, uh, usually working class men, uh, that didn't work. And instead, what was needed was to venture outside the hospital and play football uh, as part of that therapy. In the end, though, uh, you know, th th those, those gestures towards decolonizing medicine uh, were not enough for Fanon. Uh, he noticed that the doctor still owns the land, uh, mm -hmm. and he he threw himself into uh, you know the the, the the rest of the the, the struggle against French colonialism uh, in different ways outside the clinic. But what R Rupa is doing at the Deep Medicine Circle in terms of uh, integrating not just uh, you know good practice from uh, you know European and Western colonial science, but also other kinds of science. I, I think offers the way to, you know, to, to, to really think about the practice of decolonizing medicine right there in occupied Ohlone territory. Sure. Yeah, it's like, can we fix climate? Can we fix, quote, can we address climate change through a capitalist system? Um, I don't believe we can, um, because the root cause of climate change is colonial, is the colonial invasion of lands that, um, that were managed well for tens of thousands of years. Um, that were in ecological balance um, with the people, let's say, who were here in the Bay Area, the Ohlone people. Um, the air was clean, the water wasn't poisoned, the salmon was here. Um, there were all these ecological engines working well together that were in active relationship with the people tending and relating to them. Um, so I, I don't think that these situations can be, um, if the root cause is the colonial interruption of relationships, then we need to address that these solutions at that root at that root cause, um, which is to re rehydrate those relationships to re enter relationships in a different way, both from the ecological standpoint of addressing climate change, and the um, standpoint of addressing the inflammation in our bodies. And so for modern medicine, um, I think that means a, a, just a transformation in how we practice. Um, and it is exciting to see so many groups already doing that work. 
um, whether it's on the pipeline, um, you know, line three and the healers that are out there working together. So doctors, nurses, herbalists, acupuncturists working together to create a relevant um, medical response, whether it was what we were doing at Standing Rock or what we're building out right now, myself and Sage Lapena, California indigenous herbalist in um, Ramatishaloni territory. It's um, reimagining how we can serve um, our people in a way that reconnects us to these vital relationships that support our health. Do you think in recognizing the need to integrate back in so much lost knowledge that has happened as a result of the advent of capitalism and colonialism and colonial domination, that there can be a danger of romanticizing indigenous people and their practices, given that obviously indigenous people encompass enormous diversity or not a monolithic group. Yes, and and we don't want to romanticize, we want to look at the data. And the data shows us that indigenous peoples around the world living in culturally intact ways are the greatest stewards of biodiversity outside of their bodies and inside their bodies. And that biodiversity on both on the inside and outside has an impact on inflammation, on inflammatory disease. Um, And so there is something about Um, what we could consider um, universal principles that are upheld by most of these indigenous, if not all of these indigenous societies, which come down to principles of reciprocity um, and mutual benefit and mutual respect. Um, So these, you know, I don't think that these are things that are, you know, woo-woo and esoteric, but these are actual practices of how to live well in relationship to all of the entities to the web of life, to everything that supports our health and well-being, and to understand the porosity of the body, the porosity of individuals and how interrelated and dependent we are on each other. Um, So this is not, you know, a romantic notion, but a science-based data um, based notion. And what we can see is when we don't have that understanding with, for example, COVID and Delta and now Lambda, Um, If we don't understand that, you know, if we are going to have a vaccination strategy, we need to embrace the entire world all at once. Um, We'll get what we're seeing right now, which is going to be a constant popcorning of this virus that's going to keep evolving and keep coming back. Um, So we're shut. We're we're seeing the failure of our thinking right now. Rupa Maria Raj Patel, thank you so much for joining me in this hour. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. I've been joined by Rupa Maria. She's a physician and activist, co-founder of the Do No Harm Coalition, a collective of healthcare workers fighting for structural change. Raj Patel is professor of nutrition at the University of Texas, author of the best-selling books, The Value of Nothing and Stuffed and Starved, and co-director of the documentary film, The Ants and the Grasshopper, about climate change and the global food system. Together, they are the authors of Inflamed, Deep Medicine and the Anatomy of Injustice, published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. You've been listening to Against the Grain. I'm Sasha Lilly. Thanks so much for listening, and please tune in again next time. (laughs) 